Welcome to Family Financial Views from University of Illinois Extension. Hi, I'm Kathy Friedler, and I'm really excited about our podcast topic today. We're going to talk a little bit about teens and money, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kamaya, so I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Kamaya Wallace-Bichard. I am also excited to talk more about this topic. We have done wonderful podcasts on kids and money, and so today we're going to be focusing a little bit closely on teens. Well, because teens are like their own being, right? Mm -hmm. um, the world of teens, to my opinion, is often very busy, chaotic, filled with really important things to learn. But where does learning about money fit into this world that's so churning and busy in so yes. many different ways? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'd like to explore, like, is this money management topic, is it best to leave it up to the schools to teach, to families and parents and other relatives? have a role in transferring money management topics? I mean, really, who's responsible for this so that we end up with, you know, money savvy adults that have positive financial practices that help them and help our world moving forward. Kind of diving into this, we, you know, did some research review and looked around to think about, you know, what is out there already. And there's been a lot of research on this topic, although I argue there's still plenty of room for more. Lots research. of room, yes. So, you know, a lot of people try to divide this up in their research into looking at two different perspectives. So they look at it, whether it's formal financial education taking place in a school system or a school kind of mode versus family socialization. And you look at research, for example, done by Sharon Danes and her colleagues over the years evaluating the high school financial planning program curriculum, which I think many of us might be familiar with. Mm -hmm. It's shown that students who complete the course reported increasing their financial knowledge, their confidence in money management was, you know, is real important as well as even, you know, building up their savings, at least in over the short term. Now, other studies haven't found the same effect looking at financial education. And that's where I think, you know, more research that is, you know, quality research still needs to be done. So I'm not sure we can quite conclude yet. But I will want to say that both Kamai and I are educators by training. Mm -hmm. So we're probably a little biased on this topic. <laughs> um, I don't know, Kamai, you want to jump in? Do you yeah. think financial education in your experience has some kind of positive effect? You know, both Kathy and I are a huge advocate of youth financial education. And the literature does show that both formal and informal teaching moments or opportunities can influence those positive financial outcomes that we would definitely like to see in our young people. But we also have to consider developmental stage, access that um, teens may have to like educational opportunities. We also have to consider family dynamics or so household dynamics. And we also have to look at cultural backgrounds. All of these factors might influence, you know, how teens learn about money and, you know, what opportunities they have to learn about money. So say, for example, in terms of like access, there might be some school districts or programs, youth development programs in their area that offer different opportunities for them to participate in classes or just outreach effort where they can participate for free. And 
And then there are some kids that do not have, you know, these types of access. And we also look at family dynamics. A lot of times, in my opinion, some of the research, you know, mentions a lot about parents. And I get that. But household structures are so different. We know that a lot of household structures, you know, it's just along the spectrum where we might have two-parent household, we might have grandparents household, we might have multi-generational households. And so the different messages that our youth or kids are hearing like every day about money, some of it can be conflicting um, and some of it just might be lacking in a lot of these households. So I think those things are also very important. And we know that as we're thinking about like building like youth confidence and trying to increase like their knowledge base, that parents, caregivers, they do play an important role. But it's also important to know that teens are also developing their sense of identity. You know, they're thinking about like what they want their lives to be. And so a huge part in helping them gain more access to like, you know, the financial education piece is also knowing that they're at a place in their life where, you know, they're following other opportunities. And I don't want to go off too much in the tantrum because I'm thinking about like just some of the different programs that I've done with teens and, and knowing the fact that schools alone cannot provide everything that they need in terms of like that financial education piece where we know household plays a role, you know, other programs that they might get involved in can be influential in their lives as well. Well, and this is why research on this topic is so complicated mm -hmm. because Kamaya just handed out for any researchers listening, I don't know how many variables that would need to be controlled for, studied right. and looked at because as we all do recognize, money behaviors, financial behaviors are really multidimensional influenced by so many different things, as Kamaya was saying. Very true. Very true. And, you know, I think about just some of my program that I've done with after school programs where we're working with kids at different age group. It could be that K through five. And then I have like our teen programs that we work with. And some of these kids are exposed to financial knowledge through their life skill classes, through business classes or consumer ed classes. But the consistency in what they are receiving in these classes can, for a lot of them, not influence like long-term behavior. And so what we do in extension, and I know like other programs that, that focus on youth development, um, what we do is to try to complement what they're learning in their households, what they're learning at school by providing opportunities for them to get some hands-on activities with working on financial topics and working in settings where, you know, they can be involved in like discussions or active discussions about money. So thank you, Kamaya, for pulling all that together for us. So now I'd like to kind of start looking at applying this to the family financial socialization theory, which really talks about it in more depth, like how this family socialization piece comes about. And it really gets to the question of what relates to what I always want to know as a parent, which is how does what I do affect my teen's behavior, whether it's today or in the future? And we know that, you know, when they move into their teen years, we have a limited amount of time. It's sort of like the clock starts ticking mm -hmm. before they're going to move out on their own and be making their own decisions. So it's, I always found it very challenging to know, like, which battles to fight, you might say, right. or where to put your time and energy, mm -hmm. you know, and influence. And so my sons are much older now and not teens, but I was trying to think back to when they were teens. And I was wondering, Kamaya, in a typical week with your teen, you know, how many significant conversations <laughs> do you have beyond, you know, where are you going? When do I pick you up? Have mm -hmm. you done X, Y, Z? 
I love that word significant because not a lot. We have more unplanned discussions and this too, like some of our unplanned discussion have been largely influenced by social media, especially TikTok. Like lots of different things that come up that they might see, you know, throughout their day that might lead into like a deeper conversation about money. So it could be something related to like status, like, you know, owning like a boat or having like four wheelers, like these types of conversations that might come up, but not a lot of planned conversation. For my teen, you know, she's involved in like six to seven different extracurricular activities throughout the school year. So some of them are seasonal, of course. And so a lot of her conversations do center on those particular activities where we talk about, you know, what fees we need to pay, what items are needed or off-campus activities, what's the cost of those things. So these are some ways how it naturally flows in. But lots of times, you know, there's so many other things happening in our lives where, you know, money conversations, like formally sitting down to have those conversations, it's just not central to the discussion. And I think that's an excellent point for any parents or, or guardians listening to this conversation that Kamaya and I are having. You know, I used to feel like sometimes there was just all these people saying, do this, do this with your teen. And I was like, but when, how, when do I get them to listen to me? And so I was found that I didn't really know about this family financial socialization theory when I was raising my sons, but it's nice to know that they recognize this and they break financial socialization between parents and children into two formats. You know, one is is kind of what Kamaya was just explaining, which is, you know, unintentional socialization processes where children are watching and listening to their parents and they may model behaviors they see or hear. So those would be maybe not those conversations that come up around fees and things, but more just seeing us in our household, you know, conversations that may go on between adults, decisions that are made about what you do with your weekend activities, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. So, you know, can you think of any other good examples yeah. of unintentional socialization. Process. Yeah, I can think of several. There is one conversation we were having the other day about tipping like service workers. And so for us, like my partner and I, and I used to work in restaurants. Like I remember when I was in college, I had like several jobs where I was waitressing. So tipping for me is very important. And we try to give like, you know, standard 20% or, or something like that. And so with our teen, we were having a conversation about that because, you know, she went out with friends and they were deciding on how to split the bill and what to tip others. And so that was a conversation that we had. So I asked, how much was your total and what did you give in tip? And so we had a conversation around that. That was one example that I can think about. Some other things in our household has to do with, you know, charitable giving to organizations. Others include, you know, if we help out friends or family financially and our teen might see that, they don't always see, you know, some of those decisions that we make. But if it does come up, we'll have like an honest conversation around it. Some of the other examples that I can think about, you know, include just using like your ATM card, so your debit card, or using like cashback options at grocery stores when we go there. And so knowing that that money is coming off of like our debit card, and we might have conversations like that. So lots of ways where we didn't plan out to have these discussions, but just based on like that experience, or, you know, that interaction.
interaction that they were having, we could have like a conversation around that. And so, you know, trying to explain a little bit more and test them a little bit to see if they understand kind of where we're coming from or how we're explaining it. Because sometimes you think you have like this great knowledge, but explaining it sometimes it is a little bit different. That's for sure. And one thing I'm hearing you talk about too is especially in the examples with the tipping and, and, you know, giving, you know, to others Mm -hmm. is, you know, really passing on your values or at least Mm -hmm. sharing your values around finances. And that's one of the things where I think when we step back and we realize that's probably not a piece we do want to hand over into a school system per se, Mm -hmm. but, you know, is a more personal thing. And it is going to come up with your kids and your teens through your daily life, but calling it out in a way so that when you are having that opportunity to have that conversation when it just arises naturally in whatever setting to explain you know maybe taking it and saying well this is important to me because this is something i value using those words can help make that connection as well so that they might have an idea of whether you're making that decision based on how much money you actually have or what's your values or opportunities that you might choose to do one way or another yeah. And another thing I think about with like those unintentional socialization piece has to do with things that we really don't want teens to be practicing as they get older. Like what are some of the behaviors or some of the things that they hear? And sometimes it's not only from parents, right? There's other people in kind of those immediate primary circles that may practice like some money habits that, you know, we worry about for like for teens as they're getting older and, and, and making more financial decisions. Yes. So, you know, pros and cons on Mm -hmm. both sides and all kinds of things happening out there. So we talked a little bit about the unintentional socialization processes, but of course it can also be more purposeful. So where you really set out to teach a financial thing that matters to you or a behavior that they need. And I think one of the examples that comes to mind pretty quickly is that you know, making the effort to help a child open a savings account and start to put money into it. Usually, I think for many people, that is an action that they choose to take because they want to teach about savings. They want to model that. They want it to be very clear. Yes. And so that is a good example of it. But I think also some of the things, you know, especially with our teens, when they start getting the age where we have to like purchase automobile insurance for them, we may take Mm -hmm. the time to say, okay, if you want to drive, you get to sit down with me and we're going to go over what insurance looks like. What are these different pieces? What's required by law? What do we need in our own household sense of security to have? And a lot of times parents might ask for the team to pay a part of that or, you know, to take over that responsibility. So, you know, I think those are those sort of stepping stone moments when kids move into different ages and opportunities arise to teach particular concepts. And I think for me, when I think about the more purposeful versus like the unintentional with the unintentional, you know, it comes in maybe waves or just different times in life. But with the one that is more on purpose, where you're trying to share on a particular money management topic or or financial decision with that teen, I think it's also important for that parent or caregiver who is in that situation to check in with that teen to see how 
how they're doing because it can be so overwhelming. I remember having the conversation with my teen as we were talking about, you know, college options and, you know, paying for school, you know, having the responsibility of a vehicle, whether to have a vehicle on campus. And, you know, the conversation was so great because it was like exciting for me. And we were talking about all these topics. And then a few days later, she was like, I don't know if I really want to grow up yet. That's just a lot. That was a lot of information. Because <laughs> I'm the parents, I'm like, you know, and just like Kathy said, I know we have our bias because we teach on money management, but it's so excited to just like share all this knowledge that I have with her. And it was just a little bit too much. I'm like, okay, honey, I know. Okay, I will take a step back. It's that constant push-pull with teens where at one moment they're ready to just like fly, Mm -hmm. they don't want to talk to you, they're out, and the next minute they're like, okay, I really want to not be that old yet. Let's <laughs> let's 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 just backtrack. This would be a little bit easier yes, this way. And, yes. and it does make, you know, the timing of these conversations sometimes really challenging because mm-hmm. it's a little hard sometimes to know exactly where your teen is mm-hmm. and what they're ready for and when they're yes, ready for. Yes. So and so I really liked one research article I read, Purposes and Unintentional Family Financial Socialization, Subjective Financial Knowledge and Financial Behavior of High School Students out of the Journal of Financial Counseling and Planning. And it was written by Veronica Dinanith and her colleagues. And they state very clearly that in order to be socialized about money and make decisions about money, children must have access to money. Mm-hmm. And it could be given or earned. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. Yes. Because this is kind of comes back to, I think, the family in a big way. And they went on and they studied where students were in high school based on whether they had earned their own income and whether parents had given them income or some combination. And they did find that, you know, 17% of high school students surveyed at that time, and this was done in 20. 10, so this could have shifted, but had access to money only through income they had earned outside of the household, where 25% had access to money through parents exclusively. So looking at those two groups, the students who had earned income had a higher perception of their own financial knowledge, and they also demonstrated more healthy financial behaviors than peers who did not have a job. And so, you know, that is, that was pretty decisive research. Yes. I thought the same thing when I read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it it also brings up all kinds of, but what if questions in my Mm -hmm. mind, you know, sometimes depending on the community and the team, it's not possible or feasible. Maybe that's a better word, feasible for a team to work at an earned income situation, transportation issues come up, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And so I kind of looked a little further into that to see like how many teams are really earning a paycheck specifically in the summer, which is the time most likely for teams to be able to work. And of course, during the pandemic, like so many other things, teen summer employment hit its lowest point since the Great Recession. Less than a third of teens were employed during the summer of 2021, which I don't think is too surprising. But the point really being though, teen employment has gone way down since when I was a teen, let's put it that way. And really it's been very low for the last 20 years compared to previously. So previously, you know, in 2000, more than half of U.S. teens worked during their summer vacation. So it was not everybody, about mm-hmm. half, but still a little over half. That's a, yeah, that's a hot, much higher number than what we're right. seeing and right now. Right, and if you look back, you know, 2000 and you go back other decades, it's 
right around the 50 some percentiles, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But then it really dropped and it's basically hit that low during the Great Recession and then started to creep up a little bit in 2019, but then mm -hmm. dipped down. But yet so much, you know, clearly can be learned mm -hmm. by earning a paycheck. And we won't really go into all those things, but I guess I don't really have an answer on this. I just was, thought it was really interesting and mm -hmm. thought, you know, Kamaya, do you feel like it's realistic that we push, ask our teens to work, given everything? What are some yeah. of those barriers and challenges that families and teens might be facing? I love this question. I love this question because I think for many of us, we can agree that youth employment can help teach folks about like responsibility and about managing their money and how they make decisions. And, you know, we do know just based on the research that Kathy just showed, like the positive impact that could come from like teen employment. But we also know that there's like lots of challenges that families face that's in terms of like the access again, the neighborhoods that people live in. I had a conversation like two weeks ago. This is a real conversation two weeks ago with a mom who was so proud that her son had applied for his summer job. This is going to be his first summer job. And she was so proud of him, but she was so worried about him getting off work at night and at times when she cannot pick him up. Yeah. And it was a real worry because of the area that they live in. Yeah. And this was a really big concern for her. And I thought about that as we were looking at like the literature for, for today. And I'm just like, that piece is important for a lot of different families. I also thought about the fact that for some teens, you know, they really do want to earn their own money, but, you know, they may choose to participate in like an unpaid internship or do like a camp, something that will prepare them for what they want to do in the future. So whether it's going into a training program or going into college, but some opportunity that came up that they're not really earning a paycheck, but right. they, yes, it provides some opportunity for them to, to focus on what their long-term goal is. So they might give up that opportunity to earn money over the summer. And I think that this comes back to one size doesn't fit everybody. Yes. You know, it would be so nice if we could say if as parents, if you do A, B, and C, you'll have done your job mm -hmm. and your teen will be, you know, prepared to go out into the financial world. But we have teens that are very different from one another. Mm -hmm. We have family households that are very different from one another. And so we may be looking at a combination of approaches in our society and households to try to reach people at different points in their lives mm -hmm. in different ways. So I really don't think there is one way that is going to give us that magical answer that would be so convenient, you know, and so maybe we need to, you know, keep thinking more about some of these unintentional socialization ways of making conversations and experiences happen, but not necessarily enrolling in a class or going to work at this year and this date type thing. And in the Denenan study, they did find that unintentional financial socialization significantly contributed to the students' perceived financial knowledge. Communicating with parents about money meant the students felt more knowledgeable and they also showed more healthy financial behaviors. So working wasn't the only right. piece that was important there. So I was last week teaching in an eighth grade classroom and asking questions, asking students to explain things to me about different financial topics. And clearly many of them had had financial conversations with their parents. They were able to explain things to me. Maybe they didn't have all the pieces mm -hmm. quite right. But they had clearly had a conversation and they were dragging back that memory 
and trying to put all those pieces together for me. And it was really quite fun and also reminding me that we can't hit this one. You know, no. we can't nope. introduce it in a classroom and talk about it for an hour and think that'll do it. We need follow-up. And the same way as parents, we need to know that there's other people in our youth environment that are bringing up these conversations with different perspectives and different bits of knowledge. So, you know, that I think is an important part. Yes, I agree with that. I think, you know, having like those conversations can help break down the stigma around money and help the youth feel more confident in just having like these discussions. And it's not necessarily like they'll have all the knowledge base that they need, but I think it also helps with that confidence to ask questions, to clarify something that they might not know. I know, you know, Google is our friend and they can Google stuff, but lots of times when, oh you're, my, in, yes, <laughs> when you're in the middle of a conversation, it, it it's nice when they can ask these questions and, you know, even like work out like an answer with another adult and try to figure it out together. So looking at some other work that's out there that might be helpful to people listening to today's podcast, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has a wonderful series called Money As You Grow. I will try to get that URL in the podcast yes. notes for you. And they suggest different ways to encourage healthy financial behavior growth in teens. And just they have more on their website, but some of the examples that kind of resonate with me was, you know, doing comparison shopping with your mm -hmm. team. So whether you're, you know, buying items for something that they want or looking at college choices or other things, kind of helping them learn how to compare choices is a big part of money management. We've already talked on talking about values and sharing your values. And the website reminds us that sometimes, as we've already mentioned, children draw their own conclusions mm -hmm. from observation. It may not be what we intended. <laughs> and so when you think out loud and you talk through the decisions that you're making in front of them during your day-to-day -day money and time management, you know, it helps your kids follow along and they get a better sense of what's happening. One piece that really does come through the research in different places over and over again is that parental encouragement to save was a really important aspect of childhood financial socialization. So that, that value, that habit building, that is something that we can help all our youth, including our teens, to make a part of themselves. Mm -hmm. So that ultimately as adults, when it is part of the family financial socialization, the saving piece, it does lead to being more likely to have enough income to pay your debts as a young adult. So balancing income to expenses, it ultimately makes a difference. So any other things that you think are just real useful for parents to like walk away with? Yes. And we have covered, as I mentioned before, you know, different conversations through the podcast on youth and money. And we've done different classes, uh, you know, some of which we can provide links and information for you to follow up on. But I also want to just emphasize the point that, you know, kids are so insightful. Youth are very insightful when it comes to money and making money decisions. And so it is always important from my perspective, like every household is different, but from my perspective to just ask their opinions on things or even throw random questions out there like Kathy and I do a lot of youth classes and we do warm-up exercises where we might ask you know what are some things that you might need money for and what are some things that you might not need money for we may ask them things like you know what are some things that you care about like the values that you have and we might explain what that is and they have like a lot of different opinions and so even though they are learning from parents they are learning from their social environment just knowing that 
that, you know, their opinion and their perspective, that can give you some insight into what they already know and some areas that we could help with filling like those gaps. And I think one of the things that is important is when a team comes to you and says, can I do X, Y, Z, or can I, you know, I'm going to buy this, or I'm going to do this rather than immediately coming back with a yes or a no, which Mm -hmm. is kind of that tendency as you're trying to get dinner on the table and there's other things going on as well, you know, to try to remember to pause and say, tell me more about this. Yes. And that might be all you have to say. You don't have to say a lot because they don't want to hear you a lot, but just tell me more. (laughs) And then you may find out that there's like a lot more to the story from their perspective. And that's opening it up to understanding where they're coming from, but giving you a place to add in, in a way, our own experiences, our wisdom about decision-making that can be a timely moment to make that influence. So I think that's where this socialization piece, we have these opportunities. And it's a hard thing to remember, but to stop and pause and listen to them and encourage them to tell you more, I think is a big deal. Yes, So we've we've really covered a lot here in a Mm -hmm. short amount of time. And I, but I think coming rapidly it back up, I think each of us has to decide who's the main responsibility for our team's socialization with money. Mm. But keeping in mind that there's many pieces out there happening that we have no control over or very limited control and their own personalities will come through. And so we have to keep that all in mind as we still look at what can we do both intentionally as well as unintentionally to influence or to provide them with knowledge that'll help them as they move into, you know, making more of their own decisions over the next, you know, 10 years that'll matter to their finances and their money management skills. Yeah. And while, you know, the parents or the family serve as like that primary agent of socialization, just knowing that there are multiple avenues, just like Kathy was saying, are multiple opportunities for kids to develop like their money skills over time. So going back to whose responsibility is it, we want to get kids exposed to multiple options, right? So not just like within their families, those conversations or within schools, but if they're in other programs, you know, for us as extension, we offer a lot of youth program and we focus on developing youth money skills. And so if in your area, in your neighborhood, like this summer, right, this summer might provide some opportunity for you and for your youth as well to, to, find different programs, community-based programs that could help them with developing those money skills because the multiple perspectives in terms of money management discussions, that will benefit them in the future. Because like I said, they're intuitive, they're smart, and they can weed out stuff that they're like, "Mm, I don't know if that's, I want to be doing that or, you know, so they can weave through the information, even though a lot may come in at them, weave through that information to decide as they're getting older, like what money decisions they would like to make. So, you know, I can give you another example of like having a discussion with a teen on getting kind of like the new Air Force One, like, you know, the new Nikes and stuff like that. And when they look on the price online, what they're earning um, from their job and what help they might get from their parents isn't like they might want to take that money from their parents to save instead of buying that Nike. So lots of different conversations around that to help them decide how they would like to use that money. But yeah, lots of opportunities to do that. I hope that, you know, for any parents listening or any educators listening, um, that you will find just like different ways to continue to encourage them just to help them become like great managers of their money. I think the 
other challenge I'd like to throw out there for any educators or professionals who are listening to this podcast that work in financial education is to help bridge that gap between, you know, adults having conversations with youth. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, when I do youth education in classrooms or in other environments, I try to leave them with a question or two that they could take home to ask other household members, hopefully non-threatening, you know, questions that, that give them just a way to open the door to have a conversation. And in the same way, I think as we're work doing adult education, mm-hmm. we need to think about what are ways that we can help the adults transfer the information they might be learning about budgeting or credit management or savings to conversations they can have as a household. Because sometimes we just forget to have those conversations and I will you know I've been in financial education a long time and I remember when my son came home from high school and there had been a counselor talking about you know going to college and having money to do that and my son came home and said you know I kind of want to go to college and I was wondering like are you going to be able to help me at all do you have any money saved (laughs) up well this was a high value for my husband and I. So we yeah. did have some money saved mm-hmm. up, but we forgot to tell him. Um, <laughs> or at least it hadn't stuck. You know, then we were able to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. It was a great mm-hmm. reminder to me that, you know, and it came from the school, you know, hey, now is the time for me to start, ha- you know, right. to change the tone yes. of this conversation mm-hmm. and to have it in a different way. So I welcome that nudge. And so I think, you know, like I was saying, different perspectives, teams are listening when you don't expect it mm-hmm. and they're watching so yeah I love the idea of like bridging that gap because I know lots of times with like the focus of oh, we're teaching adults but also incorporating some of it where they can transfer that information just like you said and you mentioned the CFPB uh, money as you grow that's another option for younger kids as well too where they have those parental guides that have yes. questions that you can start with like your young kids about money you know things they might learn include sharing you know making decisions planning lots of different concepts that they can start learning now, which will help them in the future. Well, thank you so much, Kamaya, for having this conversation with me and kind of working through in our own minds, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the best approaches or multiple approaches Mm -hmm. to help our teens develop into, you know, money savvy adults who will feel good about their money management skills and be able to, you know, empower themselves to move forward with those skills. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. I know this is one of our favorite topics, so always happy to talk about kids and money. Have a good day. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Family Financial Feuds. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, Extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.